Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Faith, Tech, and Space Podcast. I'm your host, Rich Hay, from WindowsObserver.com. Good to be with you this morning, or actually it's afternoon on a Sunday, uh, the 16th of February, getting this episode recorded. Got all the prep work done, all the, the show notes and the, the show page and all that kind of stuff down. Now I can sit down and just kind of talk through everything that I have lined up for you. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since the last podcast. Episode 4 came out on the 26th of January. Uh, so, you know, we're still settling into some kind of routine here. I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we're getting some great uh, feedback on the show. I appreciate that very much. Uh, and we will just continue to, to approach it. it I got to tell you, I, it's a really low-stress way of doing the show for right now, especially with me involved in formation and, of course, my, day to, my day-to-day work. But it allows me the flexibility to not feel pressured to hit a certain episode on a certain day and things of that nature. And so I really do appreciate the patience in me just cranking these out when the time allows and the flow of things allow me to get behind the microphone and get it ready to go. So, uh, you know, I'm very happy to be pushing it out right now every couple weeks. The last episode had been a little bit longer. We'll see how it goes between each episode as we continue to go down this path of uh, refining the, the the process of this podcast, the content, and how we're going to kind of go through that kind of stuff. But So let's start where I have always started each episode of this podcast, faith on the part of tech space, uh, you know, that leads up to tech and space. So a little bit about what I'm involved in right now when it comes to my formation as an aspirant for the permanent diaconate in the Catholic Church. So online, we are in our sacramental theology class. I mentioned to this I mentioned this class to you during my last podcast episode. We were really just getting started. Um, But so far in this time frame, we've covered the sacrament of baptism, which is commonly referred to sometimes as the doorway to the sacraments in the Catholic Church, because in order to receive the other sacraments of the church, you have to be baptized. Uh, You don't have to necessarily be baptized in the Catholic Church, but you have to be baptized in a certain manner uh, using water, using the words in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. And then, because the Catholic Church recognizes those baptisms uh, from other churches in that sense. So, uh, it's considered the doorway to the sacraments, because once you're baptized, then you're, you're in line to receive the other sacraments at the right times in your faith life, in your formation. Uh, we've also covered in our class online the Sacrament of Confirmation, the Eucharist, or sometimes often referred to as the Mass, Uh, And then we've done the sacrament of penance, which is also referred to sometimes as reconciliation or confession. Um, So we've done those. Um, The uh, sacraments of initiation in the Catholic Church, there are three. That is baptism, again, the doorway to the sacraments. The Eucharist, again, the Eucharist is the Mass. We receive the fruits of that a sacrament of the Eucharist is communion. So we, we receive communion at, because of the Mass and because of the, the transubstantiation of the bread and wine, the elements of the bread and wine. Um, and then um, confirmation is the third and final sacrament of initiation in the Catholic Church. And, and confirmation can, uh, baptism is usually done as a child. We do do adult baptisms. They're typically done at the Easter Vigil as people have uh, gone through a formation process as a candidate to join the uh, Catholic Church. And then we have catechumens who have never been baptized that will be baptized on the Easter Vigil as they after they've gone through the formation process. Um, and then they'll, at that form at that. Easter Vigil, they'll receive, they'll not only be baptized, but they'll receive the Eucharist and be confirmed uh, all at once as an adult. For someone who is a candidate, that is someone who has been baptized in another denomination, but one that the Catholic Church recognizes at the Easter Vigil, they will receive confirmation and then and the Eucharist. So they get all those all at the same time at the Vigil, depending on their status as a catechumen, someone who's never been baptized, and a candidate, someone who has been baptized. So those are the sacraments of initiation. Then we have the sacraments of healing. That is the sacrament of penance, or as I said, reconciliation or confession. And then the anointing of the sick. And then the sacraments of service are holy orders. So that would be uh, a cleric, uh, could be a priest, could be a, a bishop is a priest, but there is holy orders for bishops as they're, as they're instituted as bishops. And then, of course, uh, deacons. So the holy order deacons are considered a part of the holy order or considered clerics 
in the Catholic Church as well. So you have the holy orders, and then you have the other sacrament of service is matrimony. Because uh, if your calling is to matrimony, to married life, that is a whole, that is a sacrament that is witnessed by the priest, but the couple getting married do it, uh, attest to their marriage in front of God and, and, and their friends and family that are gathered. So we have the sacraments of initiation, baptism, Eucharist, confirmation, sacraments of healing, penance, and anointing of the sick, and sacraments of service, holy order, and matrimony. That makes for a total of seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. This week we're getting ready to start studying the anointing of the sick. Uh, now this one for a lot of people, uh, they don't really, it's changed a little bit from the perspective of it used to be um, uh, you know, last rites, a lot commonly referred to as last rites many years ago. Uh, but no longer is it intended to just be administered as last rites when somebody is on the verge of death. But if you're going in for surgery, if you've been diagnosed with an illness or sickness of some kind, you can receive anointing of the sick um, multiple times. In fact, this is one of those, the, the sacraments that can be received uh on more than one occasion. So the anointing of the sick is, is I've been anointed before surgery, for instance, before I went in for my hernia surgery, I received an anointing of the sick, uh, for my, for my safety and surgery and my healing. So, um, now ordained deacons can perform the rites of baptism, marriage and funerals, but the last two marriage and funerals have to be outside the mass because a deacon cannot do the mass. A deacon cannot only a priest, can um, perform the Mass because it requires in, pers in persona Christe, which is the priest who says the words of, um, of when he's praying over the bread and the wine, the, those elements to, to invoke the Holy Spirit upon them to cause the transubstantiation of those items into the body and blood of Christ. So deacons can do the marriages, can do the funerals outside of Mass and the marriage outside of Mass. Again, marriage is a witness to it. And then baptism, of course. Uh, some of these sacraments I mentioned can only be received once. Baptism, you can only be baptized once. Okay, that mark is on you and it, it's permanent, so there's no re-baptism. Confirmation is also only received once. And then holy orders, even though there's different, holy orders are only received once in their, in, in, so for a deacon can only be ordained a deacon once. A priest can only be ordained a priest once. A bishop, when they become bishop, are that's a holy order, and there is a process of right for that as well. But again, they usually only do that once. So those three right there are things that are only ever received once in the church. And some the church would prefer that only be received once, such as marriage, for instance. You know, the, the church would rather the married people, when they commit to marriage, that they commit to it for life. Uh, but unfortunately, things happen. Stuff happens. I'm an annulment companion which is someone who helps uh, members of the church who have been married and had to have divorced go through the process of requesting an annulment from the Catholic Church that would free them to marry in the future or, or if they are planning to get married again and want to be married in the church, they have to have that first marriage annulled. Um, so I help people with that. But again, it's a sacrament the church would prefer that they only receive once, but it is you can receive it again, but you have there's some work to go through to to be clear to be able to be married again in the church and receive that sacrament. Others can be received multiple times. So the Eucharist, receiving communion, right? Our the obligation for Catholics is weekly, so that's allowed to be received more than once uh, in your life. Penance again, the sacrament of reconciliation or confession or whatever you want to call it, that is encouraged. On a, on a very frequent basis. And then anointing of the sick, which I also mentioned. So those are the seven sacraments, and that's what we're in the midst of studying right now in our formation class online through a course called Sacramental Theology. Locally, we just wrapped up yesterday our second canon law class. Uh, so we that was so we've had a full day, two full days of canon law, and it really is a introduction to canon law. We're not going to be canon lawyers, um, but you there's a requirement to be familiar with the canon and how, it, how it's laid out and how it works and how it's all put together. And so we've done quite a few case studies. And in fact, our final exam, which we'll receive in a few weeks, will be two case studies that we have to go in and find the various canons that refer to that case and that would help you make a decision or to seek consult from others in order to be able to understand the case and stuff like that. So we'll do that for our final exam for canon law here in a few weeks. Uh, next month in March, our next local class is going to be about Florida church history. 
And then the, a couple weeks later, in early March, we're going to make a trip down to St. Augustine to the Shrine for Our Lady of Leche, uh, and do that in April to visit the shrine, which is a local shrine here. And in fact, it's being granted um, national shrine status later this year. And and this is the 150th anniversary this year of the Diocese of St. Augustine. So it's it's all tied into those celebrations around that. In the church calendar, we're in the sixth week of Ordinary Time. Today is the sixth thun- Sunday in Ordinary Time. Ordinary time is that period of time uh, in the church that is between other seasons, uh, and it's just ordinary time, so it's it's it, it just moves forward week by week, day by day. We are coming up to Ash Wednesday. In fact, two weeks from this Wednesday will be Ash Wednesday. Many of you will be familiar with the fact that the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, this year that's on the 25th of February, is Pancake Tuesday, people call it. Uh, pancakes and stuff like that and then Wednesday the 26th of February is Ash Wednesday and then that begins Lent which is 40 days uh, before Easter and so that we go through the Lent time frame which is a a time of penance and a time of reflection and a time of almsgiving and, and helping the poor and and deepening our spiritual lives and our spiritual states and um that leads us up to uh Holy Thursday Good Friday Holy Saturday, and of course Easter, that begins at the Easter Vigil uh, that night on that Saturday, and then of course to Sunday on Easter. So that's kind of where we're at in our formation and stuff like that. So let's uh, let's go from there and talk a little bit of tech, and let's catch up on the Windows Insider program. So over the last couple of weeks, we've had three builds released for Windows Insider Fast Ring. Now that's Windows 10 V Next, right? So we've shifted. Fastring is what's called VNext, so that's going to those are early developer builds that are going to be where we see the first inklings of new features and things like that. Now, granted, over the last three weeks, we haven't seen a lot of new features in these builds, and they are highlighting other apps and things like that that have been upgraded, but not a lot of new whiz-bang features in these builds at all. So we're waiting and we're watching and installing the builds each week. So that has been build 19555. 19559 and then most recently 19564. So you can find all the show all these links I talk about are in the show notes so you'll be able to find them on the webpage. And then in the slow ring this past Tuesday because it was patch Tuesday, we received Windows 10 Insider Preview build 19041.84 in the slow ring. Now slow ring is Windows 10 version 2004. That is going to be the release that's expected sometime here in the spring, March, April, maybe May timeframe. So what they're doing is because it's on the same, it, it's in the same pace, it's kind of in that end state, they are releasing the security patches for those slow ring builds. So we that's where we're getting the little updates. And this is getting a lot of testing. People in the slow ring are the higher number than the fast ring. So it's getting a lot of testing out there to be able to make sure it's stable and ready to go forward upon release. Uh, Windows Insider Server vNext program 19551 was released a couple weeks ago. So if you're following on those builds, that is available. And then two things I wanted to mention from the Windows Insider team is they started a blog on the 7th of February week. I haven't checked on Friday to see if there's a new one. I didn't see it. The claim was this was going to be a, a news bits for the, each week. And so it's being written by Brandon LeBlanc. Uh, this one's got several different entries in it and things of that nature, and so uh, you can go catch up on things like that. But like I said, I don't remember seeing one on Friday, so I don't know that they are hit the rhythm of weekly publication yet. And then one other one they published was five years in feedback-driven features, and they kind of go back over the five years because we're coming up on five years of uh, Windows 10 being out because it was July 2015 when the first release was made available to the public. So they talk about how feedback has driven features in Windows 10. On the Edge Insider front, we are currently, uh, we've got four channels out there now. So we've got Edge Stable, which is in version 80 right now, 80.0.361.54. Then you have Edge Beta, which is also in the version 80 branch at 80.0.361.53. So those two are right neck and neck with each other. And don't forget, Edge Beta is the release candidate channel for Edge Stable. So any build for Edge Stable is coming out of beta, so they're going to be very close in sync anyway. And then you have Edge Dev, which is the developer channel that is released about once a week. 
currently at version 81 at 81.0.416.6. And in fact, when I logged into all my machines this morning, I got an alert that that had been updated. So I think it got a little patch sometime in the last couple days since it was released earlier in the week. And then, of course, Edge Canary, which is where we get our daily updates from, typically Monday through Friday, is in version 82 at 82.0.425.0. That was the build that was released on Friday. Um, some interesting notes about Edge development right now. Collection Sync Toggle has been turned on for Edge Canary and Edge Dev. That happened about a week ago. And then on Friday, people started to report they were seeing the Extension Syncing Toggle available in Edge Canary. It's not out to everybody. I don't know how broad this rollout is going to be, but it is rolling out to some people. So uh, this is a pretty significant step for Microsoft because uh, extension sync is critical. When you have to move from one machine to another and you either are doing clean install or fresh install or something like that, being able to sync your extensions is crazy handy. And so this is the first evidence we're seeing of that starting to make its appearance. So that is no doubt going to be handy for a lot of, I know I'm looking forward to it. Although unfortunately on all my devices, I don't see it yet. So it is coming, but we don't know how quickly they will be rolling that. I've got links under the Edge Insider header for the release notes for the latest stable channel build. Uh, there's story written up about some new optimizations that are boosting the performance in preview builds for Microsoft Edge, so they're building it to be even faster. Um, for you uh, IT pros, there is a process for hiding the first run experience in the new Microsoft Edge. So if you don't want them to, uh, you don't want the first run experiences where they choose what kind of info they want on a blank page when the browser starts and things of that nature. You can you can set all that stuff up and toggle those things as an IT Pro administrator over a network. So there's information about that. The stable channel with the latest release in the stable channel, which I, I think it was about 10 days ago, um, now supports ARM64. So all four development channels, if I'm not mistaken, are now supported on ARM devices, ARM64. So if you're running Edge, you want to get that on ARM. It's going to be a much better experience than running the 32-bit or 64-bit, or maybe it's, I think it's 32, in a, a container kind of thing, an x86 container. It's just not a good experience. Uh, Microsoft Edge DevTools are being expanded to more languages. There's a blog post about that. I got a link here to the Smashing Podcast, uh, where they sit down with Stephanie Stimmick and Aaron Gustafsson, and they talk about what's new in Microsoft Edge. So it's a great kind of introduction to talk about where Edge is at right now. For those of you that want to use multiple profiles in Microsoft Edge, it's supported. They've added a couple of cool new features where you can you can actually tell it to open certain links in uh, links in certain profiles. So it helps you keep your browsing separated, especially if you're doing work browsing and personal browsing on the same device. Uh, and then Microsoft wrote about how they're they're contributing to Chromium and giving some of the features that they have built for Edge into the Chromium base that will filter itself out to other browsers like Chrome, like uh, anything based on Chromium. So those will have an opportunity to get those features that Edge, the Edge team is developing in Microsoft. So Edge is doing really well. Four channels available, stable, beta, dev, and canary. And it's, it's constantly being worked on. And it's great to see that they're finally starting to toggle out the extension sync. So that so we have collection. We already have favorite sync. Collection sync is toggled on for Edge Canary and Edge Dev. Extension sync is rolling out for Edge Canary. That will soon roll out to other channels as well. And hopefully history sync will not be too far behind. And then what we need it to do is give that input to... Uh, timeline on Windows 10. I currently am using the Web Activities extension from the Chrome Web Store on Edge and it's feeding all my browsing activity on all four channels into my timeline so it's making it easier to find stuff I've browsed in the past. On the miscellaneous tech front uh, we've got other headlines such as the 10th anniversary of the iPad was a couple weeks ago. Uh, Steven Sanofsky who was on the Windows team at the time has uh, did a kind of a really long tweaked storm of of sorts about this but he has translated that into a blog post so if you want to see what the Windows team at the time was thinking about the iPad when it was starting when it was just landing uh, back in 2010 it's a great insight from somebody who was on the team 
Uh, we heard uh, in the last 10 days that Panos Pane, who's in charge of Surface Hardware, as we all know, is now the head of the Windows client team. So that what they've done is they've basically taken software, the client side, the client experience, uh, and put it underneath the Panos Pane, who's also building the hardware. So that's not a bad thing, right? The user experience on the hardware is being developed by the same, led by the same guy who leads the building of the hardware. The core underparts of Windows 10 uh, will remain on the Azure side. So that that is not changing at all. And then I guess Joe Belfiore, who was in charge of Windows UI stuff, desktop and all that kind of stuff, is moving over to Office in this change. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now that the Windows client is being built by the same folks building the hardware. A lot of comparisons have been made to Apple and what Apple is doing in the same sense that they build, you know, the same people are doing that. So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of progresses forward. Um, and of course, this is right on the verge of this past Tuesday, they had Microsoft 365 Developer Day, and we got to hear all about the dual screen stuff. And we got to finally get our hands on the, the emulator running Windows 10X. Windows 10X is the fully modern dual screen, support for dual screen based devices. Uh, that is a big, big deal. And this is a bigger deal than just the cool dual screen devices. This potentially, and I wrote about this, could be the future of Windows. It, it could, the way it's doing it with running everything in a container, the base OS is read only. So think about your, think about an iPad, think about your phone, your Android, your iOS, whatever it is, the base OS is untouchable and you can install stuff and run stuff. And Windows 10X, it runs in containers, and they announced there will be a Win32 container. That means backwards compatibility. And if you don't think Microsoft can figure out backwards compatibility, look at Xbox One. Look at Xbox One X and how it's backwards compatible with Xbox 360. Those Xbox 360 games run in a container that is running the OS that was Xbox 360. So they know how to do this stuff. They've been proving this stuff in the cloud with Azure and containers and all that kind of stuff. So it makes a lot of sense what they're looking at. It's more secure and it will be a much better experience for people. And the great part about their whole Windows 10X thing is it's not leaving any apps behind. Current apps on Windows will work just fine. If a dev takes the time to work on them and make them dual screen aware, they will become better experience, but it will still work. They'll still expand across, span across the two screens. This, I, I think, and a lot of the discussion this past week is, is this is coming to single screen devices, laptops, tablets, potentially desktops. Imagine your Surface Book running Windows 10X. Imagine your Surface Pro, maybe an older Surface 3 or something like that, running Windows 10X. Um, but not necessarily as a dual screen device. It, the Windows 10X is going to be smart enough to know when it's on a single screen or when it's on a dual screen device. And it will be aware of the hardware and it will be able to adapt to that. This is an exciting, crazy exciting time when it comes to development of the next this version of Windows 10. Um, and I suspect now that the emulator is out, that's going to get updated over time. There's lots of hands-on. I did a 32 screenshot gallery on WindowsObserver.com this past week. Link will be in the show notes. You can go check out all those screenshots and see what they're doing to stuff. It's early, early stages. It's a buggy emulator. Um, unfortunately, I can't run it on my desktop that has 32 gig of RAM because it's got an AMD 6-core processor on it. And the emulator does not do nested virtualization on AMD right now, but it's something they're working on. So my best is to run it on Surface Laptop 3 with an i5, Core i5 Intel chip and 8 gig of RAM, and those are really along the line of minimal specs. So it's not the best experience, but it's not, un, it's not horrible. Okay, so Surface Duo, Surface Neo, lots of fun. Windows 10X, lots of interesting stuff. Build in May in Seattle is going to be crazy interesting. I can't wait to go out there for that. Okay, what else have we got going on? A couple other Windows 10. Somebody got it running. So first off, somebody saw Surface Duo on a train somewhere in the world, got video and pictures. Uh, someone got Windows 10X running on a MacBook somehow. And then there's another guy on Twitter who got Windows 10X running on Surface Go. And it's a kind of convoluted process. Let me tell you, I'm not trying it. Uh, if somebody cleans it up and makes it a couple step process, I might dive in and try it on my go. But I am not venturing forth with the, the, the instructions he gave were crazy. I'm sorry, I keep saying crazy for something reason. Sorry about that. It is very technical, lots of detail, and I'm just not going to take that chance of doing something to the Surface Go. But I tell you what, if I find a single ISO, I would, I would fire it up and put it in. So we'll see what happens. 
All right, so what else is going on? Uh, Moto Razor launched their uh, their um, folding screen foldable phone, but like a day later, stuff started to pop up and issues started to pop up with durability of this thing. What's Here's what's interesting. I've said this before. Microsoft's approach to the dual screen folding device by having two distinct devices that are hinged properly so you can fold it 360, I think right now, because of the, where the foldable, flexible screen technology is, is a better approach. It allows people to start working towards that multi-screen folding screen world, but it doesn't sacrifice stability or um, uh, the intactness of the screens. So I think it's a smart move at this point early on in the process. And we heard at Microsoft 365 Developer Day that OEMs, some of Microsoft's OEM partners, are already working on devices. I suspect that Build, if not before, we'll start to hear about some of those devices as well. What else? Um, Windows 10. Oh, Patches. So shortly after Panos was named as the head of Windows client as well as hardware, there a story floated up um, about how somebody wants Panos to pay attention to patches and get patches fixed and stop releasing buggy updates. And in fact, I just caught up this morning just before the getting ready for the show that there was a security update released this past Tuesday that's causing some problems for folks. So unfortunately, it had to be pulled. A um, couple of stories here about what's new in Windows 10 version 2004-2004. That's the right way to say that, not 2004. 2004, it's like 1909 or 1903 or 1809. It's 2004. That is the April version of Windows 10 release, the, the latest um, feature update release. Uh, people are starting to kind of pull together everything that should be expected in that build that we've tested and seen in the test builds and that are in the current slowering branch as they're getting the small security updates. So I got a couple of those stories linked there. Uh, Mary Jo Foley reported this week that Microsoft has said that more than 25% of their Office 365 licenses are now sold through Microsoft 365 packages. I wrote about this about a year, yeah, about a year ago on IT Pro Today, and that it seemed like leading up to Ignite last year that the focus was shifting away from Office 365 as a package to Microsoft 365, which not only includes Office 365, but Windows 10 and uh, EMS management and remote uh, mobile management and things like that. So it makes sense that they're starting to sell more of the 365 license, Office 365 licenses through the Microsoft 365 subscription. Uh, speaking of Microsoft 365, new tools for first line workers, search, walkie talkie setup in Teams, uh, things like that. So they're trying to make those tools more attractive to, to businesses that have a lot of front line, first line workers. Uh, Office.com and the Office 365 app launcher have now been integrated with each other. It's all been consolidated. So if you go to Office.com and you're not an Office 365 subscriber, you'll see a, you'll see your normal access to online tools like off, uh, OneDrive, OneDrive, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, etc. If you are an Office 365 subscriber and you go to Office.com, you'll see your Office 365 access there so you might see your email you might and then you'll also see word and all those other online versions of the productivity apps so microsoft starting to consolidate a few things around there they also uh announced a 40 million dollar five-year ai for health initiative this is not unlike the ai that uh, announcement that they made a few years ago for the environment so the similar type of thing that microsoft is working on to help um, get ai working for positives in the world uh, Microsoft released their quarter two earnings for this quarter, 14% growth, Windows, Azure, Surface. I mean, Surface is, is approaching like a $4 billion a year business, it seems. And so their commercial is certainly powering their growth. They're setting records when it comes to their stock. Um, but with this all this new Windows 10X stuff, it's kind of interesting to see how they're starting to to, to do continue to build on their consumer package. And I've said before, they're not abandoning consumer because of the work, but all the work they're doing is is typically coming from the, the cloud learning that they're doing, and they're putting it to work into different devices. So that device might be a consumer product or it might be a commercial or an enterprise product. And so they're doing a lot of that. Uh, I think I mentioned in a past show that Microsoft won the $10 billion JEDI contract with the Pentagon. A judge has 
granted an injunction to Amazon in a lawsuit that they filed saying that they were not treated fairly in the granting of that contract. So that's a continuing court case that's going on. Uh, Microsoft backtracked on their Bing Chrome extension that they were going to install. So here's what happened. Microsoft, through their normal weekly Office 365 announcement newsletter of upcoming features, announced that they were going to install a Chrome extension that would change the Chrome homepage to the Bing search engine. Now, their reasoning behind this was to get um, enterprise customers using the Bing stuff because Bing can be integrated with your local enterprise search. And so you can tie the two together and have it all on one page. The problem is, is they were going to make it opt out. You were going to get this unless you opted out of it. Uproar, complaints, protests, I think maybe it might have been some petitions, but ultimately Microsoft has backed away from this now and they are, they're still going to release it, but it's opt-in. And I made a comment on Twitter about this. How much different might this been received and looked at if they had started with opt-in? Companies, com I think companies have got to realize it's important to go opt-in on stuff like this, okay? I mean, short of security stuff. Uh, you might be able to justify mandatorily starting a security coverage because of threat or something like that. But but for a, a small change like this, and you want users to use your consolidated search engine, and that's fine, but do an opt-in. I think you, you, you breed more favorability for the device and the feature and the capability. I think you'll actually end up with more people coming in to use it and going in and opting into that and, and giving it a shot at least and maybe finding the value in the service, not that they have to go in and opt. Because if you tell people they have to opt out and you're going to change something, and they're, it's just going to frustrate people, and that's what happened here. So I hope Microsoft and other, every other company out there that it, when, when it comes to these kind of user-type changes or, or corporate changes, that they do opt-in and explain the value of the service, the value of making that choice, and then leave it up to the people to make the choice. I, you know, look, I get it. Opt-out means you'll have some people that don't ever opt out because they either don't know, don't realize, or aren't aware. You're right, they're just not aware of how to go take care of that. But if you opt them in, they'll do the research, they'll go looking. You may not get as many numbers early, but you'll get positive reviews, or you'll get feedback for sure instead of just don't don't do this to me don't do this to my system you'll get feedback as to what might work or not work and then move it forward but i think you you there's a saying that you attract a lot more many more bees with honey than you do vinegar so and when you do opt out that's vinegar when you do opt in that might just be a little bit of sweet honey right there all right, what else is going on? OneDrive Roadmap for January 2020 has been published, so that's available. I got a link to a story about how someone upgraded the SSD in their Surface Laptop 3. Remember, the new Surface Laptop that was uh, released last year was released in a way that it can be user-upgraded, the SSD inside, so it's screws and magnets that hold in the laptop deck, the keyboard deck, as opposed to the gluing that used to be done on those devices. So that somebody shows... Which one to buy? First off, the SSD. It's this unique kind of uh, size. And then they go through the step-by-step -step of how to do it. And they, they upgraded, I forget what they said, they upgraded from a 128 to like a, a one terabyte drive or something like that. Uh, Surface Hub 2X, which we heard about at Ignite two years ago, I think, and we're shown some demos, uh, has been postponed. It's not coming this year. But they are going to deliver some of the features that were intended for the 2X to the 2S, and that's going to come via a software upgrade most likely because um, 2X was an upgrade to 2S by just changing out the computer module. So I, I think they're still going to deliver some of that stuff, but it won't be the hardware-based upgrades. It will be the software-based upgrades. Let's see what else. Uh, defending digital campaigns on election security. So Microsoft is continuing to do some work on election security. Uh, Slack. 21% bump in its stock this uh, about 10 days in the last week or so because IBM has chosen to make Slack their default instead of Teams or anything that Google offers. Uh, so that a big, huge Slack. Our, IBM was already Slack's biggest account, but now it's, it's everybody. 350,000 seats apparently are going to use Slack at IBM. So that's a big deal for them, and their stock showed it. Uh, Google, speaking of Slacks and Teams and things like that, Google is building their own collaboration tool for Teams, not called Teams, not called Slack. Uh, and a lot of people are questioning whether or not there's any value here. It's supposed to kind of conglom uh, bring together things like in the G Suite, but 
everybody knows Google's reputation for trying something and killing it off at a very short turnaround. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here and whether they get any traction on this. Um, Samsung getting a lot of praise recently about updates, Android updates on Samsung devices that they have become uh, much more proficient at releasing the updates in a timely manner. Although I got, I, I do have some heartburn with T-Mobile because the updates are available from Samsung, but T-Mobile still hasn't released the January updates, let alone the February updates for their devices. So they get a little frustration check mark for me on this. Uh, Google mapping, 15 years old. So there's a few stories that's been released about uh, the 15 years of mapping the world, uh, the next 15 years of Google Maps, and they're showing off some of their favorite street views and stuff like that. So you can check that out. Google also, check this out. Were you expecting this? Enterprise Ad- Glass Enterprise Edition 2 is now available for direct purchase. So you remember Google Glass, right? And it was called a few other different things. This looks a lot like Google Glass, okay? Um, $1,200 is the cost on a couple websites that Neowin Rich Woods found a, a listing for it. So pretty expensive, but it's there and it's available if people are interested in giving it a shot. Um, and then I've got a follow-on, five ways your team can start collaborating with Google Drive. You may have all heard the news late this last week that uh, Mobile World Congress 2020 in Barcelona has been canceled due to the coronavirus fears. A lot of uh, presenters and um, uh, displays and press conferences and uh, release updates were already canceled by some big, big players. And I think the final straw was just that, you know, with the current concern around the coronavirus, that it, that is a 100,000-person show that would show up in Barcelona. It Potentially, you had some concerns there. So they have decided to cancel that for this year. Uh, Avast, data security. We recently just had data, data privacy day. But Avast has had to come out and they had to sell this little subsidiary they had that was selling data from browsers and from machines that were using the Avast uh, antivirus, anti-malware software. And then Avast came out and apologized for that and tried to explain why we do that. And they wrote up this commitment, our commitment to personal or to responsible data use. Uh, And then Facebook came out and said, we're giving you more control over your privacy. Everybody's fighting privacy. We're back to that opt-in thing, right? Avast was taking that user data as part of the user agreement and they were not getting consent from the users of the software. And then this little data, this subsidiary they owned was was what was selling the data to other companies. So data is valuable, no doubt about it. You've always heard if it's free, then you're the product. They, what you do or what you say or what you browse or what you click on is the product. Data is a big deal, but there's a lot more out there these days about data privacy. And we've got to continue to insist that these companies opt allow us to opt into these services. Don't automatically opt us in and enforce us to go find a way to opt out. Um, security updates released this past week for Windows 10 version 1607, 1703, 1709, 1803, 1809, and 
update on Project X Cloud. If you're on iOS, limited test flight is available. I think only 10,000 slots and only one game, Halo MCC. Uh, and so you have to get into the test flight program. And right now that's limited to 10,000 people. And again, there's only one game available on the iOS platform for X Cloud. This is not cla uh, console streaming. This is X Cloud. So this is that game streaming from Microsoft servers. Uh, Xbox Game Pass Quest, they're, they're continuing to bump that up to encourage people to... The idea behind the Game Pass Quest is to get you to install games from Game Pass if you're on Game Pass and check them out and try to earn achievements and you earn reward points. And, of course, you know you can use your reward points for various different stuff. Microsoft's Mixer is starting to make some changes to their apps. The Xbox One experience, improving streamer features. So this is all positive movement. After a few weeks ago, they really got some harsh feedback about lacking in uh, features for their partners and stuff like that. Uh, Google and Microsoft working big on gaming this year. We already know that. Google Stadia. Uh, GeForce Now. I didn't know this was coming. This kind of caught me off guard. But it's another streaming service, gaming streaming service. This one's 5 bucks a month. It's an NVIDIA base. It's from NVIDIA. But um, there's a story here that I will send you to for CNET that tells you about what they know about this service. So that is now, so that that's GeForce Now is game streaming. And so this is just another place to go get games. And, and you get a little bit of subscription fatigue here, depending on what you do like to do in game. So you have to be careful here, but you can read up on that. Uh, and Atari, this was kind of weird, but Atari announced a bunch of video game themed Atari hotels. So I got a link to that story. And in fact, they showed a picture of one that looks a lot like the Atari. Uh, they use the Atari logo on the outside of the thing. All right, that wraps up tech and gaming. Let's talk a little space because it's been, cr I almost said crazy. It's been extremely busy the last few weeks when it comes to space. So Christina Cook. Returned from space after 328 days in space. Set a record for uh, female longevity or length of stay in space. So she's back on Earth. Um, and there's, I've got a link here to a story about the pale blue dot. You might remember, I think it was about 10 years ago, maybe 20, that a picture was published from the, the orbits of Saturn, I think it was. Yeah, the Voyager 1 spacecraft took it. Um, and so they've redone that. They kind of worked on that picture. And uh, it's kind of a neat shot. This little dot on the screen is us. It's Earth. And it really puts things into perspective for you. Um, spin launch. This is another space industry kind of thing where this company says they will spin things to this like rapid centrifuge kind of speed and throw it and launch it into space. Don't quite get all the physics and the, the science behind it, but it's kind of an interesting read. Uh, and then if you want Google Earth, it's now available on mobile. It's always been on desktop, so you can now access Google Earth on your mobile device. On the SpaceX front, so SpaceX, kind of, this is a huge scoop for them. William Gerst, Gerstenmeyer was the head of NASA's manned spaceflight. So ISS, shuttle, he kind of, he was, he, the human spaceflight aspect of NASA was his thing. Well, he recently got replaced at NASA. He was uh, sent off, and another person has come in behind there by the administrator, Jim Brendenstein, and SpaceX just scooped him up. And they are now, he is now their manned space flight, space flight kind of consultant, advisor, and things like that. And, and SpaceX is on the verge of sending their first astronauts up, up in a Crew Dragon in uh, Demo Mission 2. Um, and so that spacecraft, in fact, has arrived at Kennedy Space Center to be prepped for that Demo 2 mission. So SpaceX is right there on the verge of putting astronauts back up into space from U.S. soil. Uh, I mean, we're talking about April, May, June time frame is what we're looking at here, second quarter. Um, SpaceX sent up another batch of Starlink Internet satellites, another batch of 60. They are on, I, I can't remember what the date is. It may be tomorrow. Is it? No, today's Sunday. So sometime this week, they may be in the process of already moving towards their next launch. That will be five launches of 60 satellites, 300 satellites they've put in orbit over the last few months. Um, and then SpaceX is, uh, there was also news talking about Starlink that they may be planning to spin that business out and take it public and do an initial public offering to, and sell stock on it to help fund that process. And ultimately that broadband service that will be provided via satellite. And then of course, as I mentioned, I've got a link to the story here about, uh, the crew dragon spacecraft arriving in, uh, Florida for its first DM2 mission that's coming up with astronauts on the Boeing front. Things aren't going so well. 
So you know that they had the challenge with their orbital flight test. We do know that they recovered it into orbit, was able to do some testing over a few days, and did have a successful landing of this craft. But about a week ago, Microsoft and, or I'm sorry, Microsoft, NASA and Boeing had a joint uh, press conference. They talked about some more things they found out during the orbital flight test. Apparently, there was a couple other serious software errors that potentially could have caused or allowed the spacecraft to bump into each other, which would be a just catastrophic thing. So Starliner and Boeing is is still got a lot of work to go before they're going to get to to give a shot at this. And I got to imagine with all these issues that are being found, and NASA continues this secondary investigation. I gotta imagine that Boeing is probably going to be required to do an orbital flight test. Uh, you know, the whole bailiwick in order to prove the validity of their new software. I can't imagine that they will load up new software and then do a manned mission. So I think Boeing's still going to be several months behind SpaceX starting to fly astronauts to the station. And that's unfortunate, but we're talking crew safety here, and it has to be right. On the NASA front, I've got a ton of links here from NASA. i got the story about Christina Cook's return from space after 328 days. NASA has opened up applications for more astronauts. So if you're listening to this and you're the right age and and type of person with the right kind of credentials and you want to be an astronaut, go apply. Um, 40 years ago, STS-1 was being prepared for launch. 40 years ago, 1980. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, okay. NASA Science Cargo took off yesterday on a Northrop Grumman uh, launch that's going to take some supplies to the space station. So that launches out of uh, Wallops, Virginia, Wallops Island, Virginia. Solar Orbiter blast uh, took off from Kennedy Space Center. I got to go outside about 1120 at night and get see a, get a look at it. I shared pictures on my Twitter. It's just the dot of the, the rocket. We had some cloud cover. So Solar Orbiter will take about two years to get to the sun and to orbit around the sun. And we'll orbit it around the poles and do further study of stuff. Uh, that means the Solar Dynamics Observer is uh, will be replaced with the mission the Solar Orbiter is doing. NASA is picking missions to go to Venus, Triton, and EO as finalists for this new funding that they have. The Mars 2020 rover is here in Florida. It's at the Space Coast. It's, it landed on a, a Globemaster C-17 a few days ago and is being prepped for launch on a United Launch Alliance Atlas V. That, that rover is going to go to Mars. It's the newest rover. It's, it's very similar to the previous rovers, about the size of an SUV. Um, and it will go there to explore. And they lessons learned from previous rovers have been built into this one. And then we still don't know the name yet. They had a contest, and so we're waiting to hear what the name is. Um, they also, NASA also picked um, a commercial company to Axiom Space to put a commercial habitat on space station with Boeing's help. So that is going to open up low Earth orbit to more commercial possibilities and processes. That's what NASA wants. They want low Earth orbit to be commercialized so they can move out to the moon to do more at the gateway and things like that, and then ultimately onwards to Mars. All right, so there's all your space stuff. So in closing, a few stories to mention to you. Um, I, I thought it was an interesting story here that a fella fell through some ice on the Mississippi River, and he said Google Maps told him to cross the river. So there's a little conflict going on there between Google Maps that just turned 15 years old, by the way, and the fella who fell into the ice on the Mississippi River. Glad he's okay. Um, really interesting video here about plant-based meats. And it was sponsored by the Gates Foundation. And very interesting. It, I learned more about plant-based meat and its its value to the environment and how much how it replaces current processes for producing beef. And it was extremely insightful. And it, Bill Gates is there trying out the burgers and stuff like that as well. So if you've never learned much about plant-based meat, you should go check this out. Because basically it boils down to be able to use a quarter of the amount of land that is used for raising beef and feeding beef, cows, cattle, that would take a quarter of that land and you could do the same amount or better in plant-based beef. And it's better for the environment, better for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So very, very insightful. Uh, Microsoft released a recent report and research about digital civility at its lowest level in four years. If you are on social media, you see this, you know this, you've experienced this most likely. For my own sake, I have been curating, um, a follow, uh, adding to my following. Um, you know, not that I have a bad following. I follow a lot of softies. I follow a lot of tech folks. Fairly good bunch of people to be following. 
and and I purposely target and get rid of things that don't add value to my life, add value to my attitude in my day, okay? I choose to curate Twitter because I'm on Twitter so much, so I want it to be, and, and I'm not talking about being in an echo chamber. I'm not talking about disagreements with people. I'm talking civility, and that's what this research from Microsoft is all about. Civility and and having a disagreement are big time two different things in the, from the perspective of how you react and how you react civilly or not. So the interesting reading there. Uh, another webinar that Microsoft talked about for teaching in schools is called Teaching Happiness. It's a really unique approach to kind of how to teach people to be happy. How to teach, And again, some of this fits into the digital civility thing. Again, curate things so that you get in positivity in your feed each day. That's what I've done. I, for me, it's Catholic Twitter. So I've, I've started to build a list of people who, who are Catholic, who share information on social media, and it gives me more insight into kind of how other people's lives as a Catholic go on. And for me, that's what works to help with that aspect of the social media feed. Uh, and then this teaching happiness is to help teach pe a webinar to show people how to help it helps students to succeed in school and beyond by teaching them happiness. And then the last story I wanted to link to was something that it's called Why Don't People Tip Hotel Maids? And I'm not sitting here saying you should ho tip hotel maids. You can go read this story and form your own opinion, okay? But it's something that we do. We choose to do this because we know it's just like tipping service personnel, so waiters, waitresses, things of that nature. Those folks don't make the wage because they get tips. And so, and also, by the way, I raised a daughter who was a waitress for many, many, many years. And, you know, you always tip to take care of those folks who are providing you services and stuff like that. And extending that to the person who took care of that hotel room, whether you were there one night or four or five nights and you never even took service or something. Think of the value that is added to being able to provide people that little bit of extra can go a long way. So if you have the means, why not do that to say thank you to the folks that are taking care of those things? Okay, so that's a wrap for me. That is episode five of Faith, Tech, and Space. Uh, we will see you online at Twitter at WinOBS. That's where you can find me at most all the time. And then, of course, at WindowsObserver.com and the show notes and links for this at WinOBS.com. So until the next episode, blessings to everybody out there. Be safe, be careful, and take care. See you, everybody. Mm -hmm.